Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Lin Shenjiang. Today, I'm delighted to have Dr. James Welker. James, would you like to say hi to the listeners? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. I've been listening to New Books Network for quite a long time, and it's, it's fun to finally actually be on it. James Welker is professor in the Department of Cross-Cultural Studies at Kanagawa University in Yokohama, Japan. His research focuses primarily on gender and sexuality in post-war and contemporary Japan, especially fan studies, feminisms, and LGBTQ community. He's the author of Transfigurations, Redefining Women in Late 20th Century Japan, which is forthcoming. He's the editor of BL Ga Hilaku Tobila Henyosuru Asia no Sexuality to Gender. BL Opening Doors Sexuality and Gender Transfigured in Asia in 2019. Querying Special Issue of Macadamia Second Arc in 2020. And also the edited volume we are focusing on today Queer Transfigurations Boys Love Media in Asia that is published by University of Hawaii Press in 2022. Actually, some of the articles included in this volume have been translated into Japanese in the 2019 volume. My encounter with this edited volume is at the annual conference of Association of Asian Studies in Hawaii this year. In the book exhibition, I saw this book in the booth of University of Hawaii Press, and it immediately caught my attention because I'm actually a fan of BL cultural productions. Indeed, Queer Transfigurations, Boys Love Media in Asia, brings together 21 scholars exploring BL media, its fans, and its sociocultural impacts in a dozen countries in East, Southeast, and South Asia, and beyond. Contributors draw on their expertise in an array of disciplines and fields, including anthropology, fan studies, gender and sexuality studies, history, literature, media studies, political science, and sociology to shed light on BL media and its fandoms. The boys love BL genre was created for girls and women by young female manga artists in early 1970s Japan to challenge oppressive gender and sexual norms. Over the years, BL has seen almost irrepressible growth in popularity and since the 2000s has become a global media phenomenon weaving its way into anime, prose fiction, live action dramas, video games, audio dramas, and fan works. BL's male-male romantic and sexual relationships have found a particularly receptive home in other parts of Asia, where strong local fan communities and locally produced BL works have garnered a following throughout the region, taking on new meanings and engendering widespread cultural effects. Queer Transfigurations reveals the far-reaching influences of the BL genre, demonstrating that it is truly transnational and transcultural in diverse cultural contexts. It has also helped bring about positive changes in the status of LGBTQ people and communities, as well as enlighten local understandings of gender and sexuality throughout Asia. 
Queer Transfigurations shows that some 50 years after the first BL manga appeared in print, the genre is continuing to reverberate and transform lives. So let's start with the interview. How do you come up with this particular book project? I have been working on BL in Japan for a long time since the at least the early 2000s. And uh, BL plays uh, a pretty significant role. It, it form BL and BL fans actually form a third of my monograph. So, and I've been very involved with scholars working in Japanese and working in English on BL in Japan. But in 2016, an Australian scholar named Peter Jackson, he is a religious studies scholar as well as a scholar of LGBTQ issues in Thailand. He wrote to me, uh, Mark McClelland, uh, the late Mark McClelland, also who was also based in Australia, as well as uh, Thomas Bodinet, who actually appeared on New Books Network somewhat recently, and then Dredge Kong. Tom is was originally more of a Japan studies scholar, Mark a Japan studies scholar, um, and then Dredge is a Thai studies scholar. And um, he wrote to us and he said, so I've been seeing all of these BL dramas in Thailand. What's the deal? Is anybody actually working on this? And we had this long email conversation. Basically, it was suggested that somebody really ought to do a conference on BL in Asia because it's going crazy, not just in Thailand, but also in China, uh, in Korea, in the Philippines and so on. And so I decided that I was established enough and my university actually has money and they gave me a bunch of money. So I um, put together this conference and was able to fly in around 17 or 18 different scholars into Japan and then bring other people from around Japan. And so I had this conference so that the conference was the, was what became the book. Um, But one of the interesting things about this conference was that at the end of the conference, this uh, Japanese woman came up to me, you know, she's an editor, like at at a, well, she was sort of independent, but anyway, so she came up to me and she said, Oh my God, this is so amazing. And I came the first day. I don't speak any English. The whole conference was in English. I don't speak any English, but I just would listen to presentations and then other people would sort of interpret afterwards. And this was so amazing. I was going to come for one day and do my best to kind of follow. I had to come back the second day. We need this book in Japanese. We need this in Japanese. And I said, well, you know, I, I mean, I obviously I speak Japanese, but I, I don't have the ability to put together a book. She's like, I will make it happen. And she did. Her name is um, Ishimari. In order to publish it and in order to sort of engage Japanese scholars, um, a couple of other scholars, Ms. Ishii and I invited on board a couple of other BL scholars, um, including Fujimoto Yukari, uh, Mori Naoko, and Hori Akiko, and Ishida Hitoshi, who are all pretty well known in BL. Well, they're very well known in BL studies in Japan. So this became Bielga Hiraku Tobira, or BL Opening Doors. And um, I mentioned this partly because what, ha- so what happened is between this conference and the book Boys Love Manga and Beyond, which I co-edited with Mark McClellan, Kazumi uh, Nagaike, and Katsuhiko Suganuma, the conference, the Japanese book, and the earlier Japanese book, the 2015 Japanese book, Hori Akiko and Mori Naoko were like, we have to, we need something like this in Japanese. And they write about this in the afterword to the book. This actually inspired them to put together a book called Bieru no Kyokasho, which literally means BL textbook. But I, they're working on an English translation, and I think it's going to be called an introduction to BL studies. And I mentioned this not because I'm proud that I am actually having an influence on uh, Japanese BL studies, although I am. But because what's fascinating is that BL studies outside of Japan is actually having an impact on BL studies within Japan. So it's, a, it's having an impact on the field, which I, I think it, it kind of echoes the way that BL... So BL obviously um, has become very global and BL outside, from outside of Japan, it has developed fandoms within Japan. So we're seeing kind of the same sort of thing with the same sort of flows that are going in different directions. 
several scholars have argued that, um, or just pointed out basically that, B, that so BL as a genre comes from Japan, but um, we can no longer say that Japan is the center of BL. And I think we can also say the same thing for BL studies. BL studies focused on Japan. The major scholarship is a lot of it's happening in Japan, but there's an awful lot that's happening outside of Japan as well. One of the things that I wanted to stress, though, about this collection is that my putting this book together is me being a facilitator of BL studies. So while the introduction and the afterward, the way that I frame the collection is based on my own research on the history of BL and its fandoms in Japan. I'm not the scholar. So everything that I'm talking, I'm, well, I'm, a, I'm a scholar, but I'm not this. I'm not this is not my research that I'm going to be talking about a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today. And I don't I don't want to claim credit for it because there's a lot of amazing scholars who contributed some really fascinating chapters to the book. So I don't want to take credit for their work. It sounds so great. And I definitely agree that the whole BL genre and the BL media is so global right now that you see all these transmissions across different countries. Like, yes, we consume a lot of Japanese manga and anime uh, of the BL genre, but at the same time, some of the BL animes that are produced in China are also going to Japan or even going to the United States as well. So that's what we are seeing right now. And again, I think the emphasis on this global phenomenon is so important that we need to continue discussing how all this BL media is so transcultural and transnational, as you talked about in the volume. Now we need to come to some basics for those who know very little about BL. Actually, this idea of BL or boys love has all kinds of other names like tambi in Japanese, tame in Chinese, and then the other Japanese word is yaoi. So I'm wondering what is really BL? And also, what are the major themes and styles of BL? First of all, when you introduced me and you introduced the book, you did talk a little bit about BL. But BL is basically, um, Boys Love is basically male-male romance. Uh, initially in Japan, it was created by and for women and girls. And so, and male-male romance can include sex. It can just be very lusty. When it was originally developed in, in the beginning of the 1970s, the main term that was being used is, or was shonen ai, which literally means boy love. And I could go way into the history of that word, but I will avoid that for now. But shonen ai was the primary label for the genre through the 1970s. So originally Shonen I develops as this commercial genre, such as it was. I don't know that people were thinking of it as a genre. It's just these beautiful boys who were falling in love with and sometimes having sex with each other in girls' comics magazines. So there's the commercial aspect of things. But then in the mid-1970s, we see the emergence of then very tiny, but now major event called Comic Market or Komike, Comic Market. In this amateur world, what was called Shonen Ai first appeared. BL was an important part, or Shonen Ai was an important part of Comic Market from the very, very beginning, the very, very first Comic Market. Like there was a BL anime, like an amateur BL anime that was shown at the very, very first event in 1975. So different fan groups or circles, sakuru as they're called in the fandom, they started to create their fan works, fanzines, doujinshi in Japanese. Within this sphere, at the end of the 1970s, the word yaoi appears. Yaoi is an abbreviation for yamanashi, ochinashi, iminashi. Yama is like the climax of a story, so no climax. An ochi is like the punchline or kind of in a, in a uh, could be the denouement of a novel or, or fiction. So no punchline or no denouement. And then imi nashi, imi is meaning, no meaning. And this term was originally used by fans, uh, by a small, small group of fans to make fun of their own work. And the original use of it wasn't necessarily applied to male-male romance. But right at the end of 19, the 1970s, I think in, at the end of 1970s, 79, there was a group that released a doujinshi that they called the Yaoi Special Issue. And it was all beautiful young men. I don't think any of them were boys. All beautiful young men and male-male romance. And from that point, Yaoi st 
started to be used as a label for this male-male romance in the amateur sphere. And so within Japan, there was a use of Shonen and I somehow got associated with commercial works and Yaoi got associated with amateur works. Also, right around the same time, starting in 1978, there was a magazine uh, called June that also was focused on these male-male romance, um, both in manga and prose fiction form. And June also started to be used as a label for this genre. And some people have made a distinction between Shonen Ai and Yaoi and June, and then the term boys love, which um, was created as a an English translation within the Japanese publishing world, the word boys love was traded or created as an English translation of the term Shonen Ai. Um, I think that was uh, 19, around 1991. It was used on the cover of a magazine, but very quickly that term was adopted and transliterated into boys rabu um, and became a label. So over time, basically what we saw was Shonen Ai was sort of this historical label. Yaoi was being used as a sometimes as a catch-all label and sometimes as a label for the amateur works. And then Boys Rabu was being used for commercial works. The newer magazines had started appearing at the end of the 1980s. There were a whole slew, like 30, 35 magazines between 1989 and 1995. But if you read the actual magazines, they sometimes use the word June or Yahweh. Basically, there's a whole ton of overlap between the way these, these terms work. And a lot of the commercial publications were originally doujinshi. They were originally fanzines. Although some people within Japan have used these labels, and I in the past have used these labels as sort of, well, in terms of history, it makes sense to use them. You know, in the 1970s, people used Shonen Ai. In the 1980s, there was Yaoi and Shonen Ai and June and Tambi, which I will come back to in a, in a second. Um, and then Boys Love. But at the same time, they overlap massively. So Tambi, which is a word that means esthete, was also used as a label for BL to kind of give it kind of a literary feel. Tambi has been used to describe the works of the novelist Tanizaki Junichiro, as well as I think uh, Kawabata, and import, like translated novels like by Jean Genet or Oscar Wilde not necessarily related to homosexuality, just related to works that had a certain aestheticism, but also a certain eroticism. Tambi's also been used as a label for porn. And so all of these terms were circulating for, by the 1980s, 1990s. But what's happened is that outside of Japan, these labels have been used in a sort of a different way. Overseas consumption of BL started we started to see overseas fans by the 1980s at the latest um, in various countries especially in asia um, probably due to proximity but over time the overseas fans in the 1990s early 2000s fans are starting to say okay shonen i that's the pure innocent works again it's associated with this 1970s pure uh shoujo manga girls comics and then yaoi is porn and then bl Boys love when that starts to be used. So Yaoi seemed to be like the, the major label uh, being used by overseas fans, at least English speaking fans um, and Korean um, fans, because a lot of this stuff was going right into Korea almost immediately after it's developed in Japan. So Yaoi comes to be associated with porn and then boys love is either a catch all or it sort of means something in between. The funny thing about that is that from the very beginning, Shonen I has been pretty erotic. Like in 1976, uh, Takumi Keiko published a manga called uh, Kaze Toki no Uta, or The Song of the Wind and the Trees. And it opens with a sex scene, like a pretty graphic sex scene. And that manga was serialized in various shoujo manga magazines, several shoujo manga magazines, um, between 1976 and 1984. And it's really clear what kind of sexual acts some of the characters are engaging in. You know, I mean, if it were a TV show or something, anyway, I'm not sure you could show it on mainstream American television at the time that it was being released in Japan, even though it's in a magazine for 10 to 14-year-old girls. And yaoi, like the term when it was first used, I have that doujinshi when it was first the yaoi special issue. There's no sex, none, zero. But in the amateur 
sphere, it's a lot easier to be really graphic. And so I understand why it was associated with porn, but it wasn't, it was never a label for porn in Japan. But one of the interesting things that's happened is that BL fans are reading the scholarship by people such as me saying this is actually inaccurate to describe Japan. It's fine. Fans can take labels outside of Japan and use them however they want. As long as they're not saying this is how it's used in Japan, they're not wrong. They're just changing the label. Words change all the time. Again, if I were to go into the history of shonen ai, like that word has changed significantly in meaning over time. And that's the usage within Japan. But what's happened is that some fans have been reading this scholarship and they're saying, oh, no, you're all wrong. This is the correct use of these terms. And this is what these terms mean. And that was certainly not my intention. And I don't think it was the intention of any other scholars trying to describe the way the terms were used in English. There's a, a kind of a cognate. So BL, broadly speaking, was developed by and for women and girls in Japan. There is a separate genre that in Japanese now is generally called gay komi or gay comics. So gay comics. And um, outside of Japan, it came to be called bara. Bara is a word that means rose, but and it comes from, it too has a quite a, a long history, but the association in this context is from the magazine Barazoku, which is the first commercial gay magazine. Bara came to be the, the label for gay comics, like by and for gay men outside of Japan. To my knowledge, it was never used much, if at all, in Japan. But several prominent manga artists, notably Tagame Gengoro, um, who is known for his very graphic gay porn manga, he objected to this term. And recently I've seen even like at fan conventions, like panels discussing, you know, the ethics of using the term bara, shouldn't we be saying gay komi, right? Or just gay comics in English, because bara, like some artists oppose the use of the term. But to me, fans are able to use, because there's nothing inherently offensive from my perspective about the term bara. So I don't really have a problem with that. But it's interesting to see some fans reading scholarship and reading um, what's going on in Japan and saying and correcting fans outside of Japan. Back to the term danme. So danme is the Chinese pronunciation or my attempt at the Chinese pronunciation of the word tambi, again, aesthete. I don't know exactly when the term entered Chinese, but it makes sense that it would work well as a label in Chinese because there's kanji, right? We, we have the Chinese characters probably by the early 90s because BL entered China by the early 90s, if not slightly earlier than that. And so, and Danme is quite interesting because originally I had the impression it just meant BL, but BL in China is significantly different in some ways than BL in Japan. In their chapter in this book, Ling Yang and uh, Yan Rishu, talk about BL or Danme as an umbrella category. And it includes in Chinese or in, 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 the, in Chinese fandom, it includes local fiction, prose fiction. And that's the primary form of local BL in China for a number of reasons. One of which is that it's a lot easier to circulate online than full manga, especially when we're talking about it developing in the early 90s, as opposed to more recently when we have much you know, high-speed internet. The early 90s, obviously, we didn't have high-speed internet. And so Danme includes this local um, fiction, but also in Chinese, it can include BL manga, Japanese from Japan, and it can also encompass Western slash fiction. Um, slash fiction is a genre of homoerotic fiction that emerged in Anglophone culture, Anglophone fan cultures in the early 1970s, a little bit after BL developed in Japan. But the use of Danmei in China can include all of these things, including for the most recent popular genre I'm aware of called Omegaverse, which it developed out of fandom in, again, Anglophone slash fandom. And it just involves new ways of coupling characters that I probably shouldn't go into. And so we've got all of this, but then we also have LGBTQ comics or originally in English, lesbian and gay comics or gay comics, lesbian comics, which have been around for decades, many, many decades. But we're also seeing kind of an overlap, much as um, Japanese manga has influenced art styles in other countries. There's a lot of original English language works that 
I sometimes can't figure out, like I wouldn't know whether to categorize them as BL or not. In some cases, I feel like if the author calls it BL, it's BL. But, you know, are we, how are we judging whether something is BL or not? Are we, are we judging the art? Are we judging the, the, the structure of the narrative? What makes something BL besides the author calling it that? And if we say it's the art, well, if you look at BL in Japan, there's a lot of gag style BL, right? So this kind of this, this rough kind of sketch stuff that wouldn't necessarily read as Japanese if you're not familiar with manga, right? It doesn't look like the pretty smooth lines that were and the, the really detailed shading and, and so forth that were uh, many people who consume manga are used to. So is it that? Is it the narratives? I think it's, it's quite hard to say. And one of the interesting things is that so fans outside of Japan, they're blurring LGBT media with BL. Inside Japan, until recently, BL has been seen as something that's quite distinct. But outside of Japan, whether it's Japan produced or Thai produced or Chinese produced, there's been sort of an overlap in the fandoms. So inside Japan, even today, although there are gay male fans, and I'm sure bisexual male fans um, and trans fans and so forth, the primary audience remains women and girls. But outside of Japan, if you look at online fandoms, at, at least, you're going to see a lot of men, you're going to see a lot of trans male or trans female fans of these genre or this genre. So in Monterey, Mexico, one of the earliest BL fan conventions in Mexico, I think it's what, six or seven years ago now, maybe eight years ago now, um, it originally started as a BL fan convention, but the organizer, Fen, changed the event to an LGBTQ comics festival and I actually went to this and it still looks like primarily BL. And the fans are primarily interested in Japanese media and more recently Thai media and K-pop and so forth. Hopefully in a roundabout sort of way, I've addressed that. Yeah, it's so rich. There are a lot of knowledge that I have no idea about, even though I've encountered all those terms all the time when I'm reading and watching BL media. I think one thing that's so interesting in China right now is that because of the censorship going on, a lot of manga platforms or anime platforms in China like Bilibili, they are avoiding the idea of Danmei, this tumbi. Instead, they use pure love. Junai or Chunai in Chinese. And that's another very interesting thing. Even though they are avoiding this term, it's exactly the same. And then this turns into another question that we can discuss later. And also you mentioned reception. Actually, this is a question that I always ask myself. Why, as a woman, I want to read and watch male-male romance? So that's another thing that we can discuss further about reception as well. And of course, I think what's also interesting about the reception is that it not only attracts women now, but also men. And also, again, gender is so mobile. We have all kinds of genders now, and it's attracting all kinds of audiences. And that's another thing that we can further discuss. But now let's turn back to some basics of this particular additive volume. I really like this title of Queer Transfigurations. I'm really curious why do you use these two terms? Because we know queer can be LGBTQ. And in Chinese, we have this idea of tongzhi. And then transfigurations. Why transfigurations instead of other things? And also another very important thing in your introduction, you actually introduced several very major arguments for this additive volume, and I think they are so significant. So what are the arguments and why do you propose them? First of all, queer. So obviously, if we look at the narratives, it would be very easy to say that these are queer because we have male-male romance, and that goes against the heteronormativity that prevalent in still every society. But we could also say, wait a minute, at least in Japan, these works were created by and for ostensibly cisgender heterosexual women and girls. So what's queer about that? But if we look at the history, so Shonen and I, again, boy love or boys love was first developed at the beginning of the 1970s with the deliberate attempt at creating some sort of narratives that would give 
freedom, I guess, it sort of liberates the gender and sexuality of the girl readers as well as the young women creators. So Japan is still quite patriarchal, but if we look at 1970s Japan, the patriarchy was a lot stronger. Women's um, ability, gender freedom, sexual freedom, sexual autonomy was a lot more restricted, a lot more limited at that point. And if we look at male female romance, if you are an adolescent girl reader, and you're reading about male-female romance, well, first of all, the structure of the romance is, is limited by the patriarchy. Men are controlling the relationship in ways that hopefully isn't happening quite as much now. But so that's very limited. And also, if you're a young female reader, you are have been raised to identify with a female character. But if we have male-male romance, first of all, both of the characters have freedom. They have a lot more liber- liberty to act and do as they please because they're boys or young men. And then as a female reader, you suddenly aren't compelled to identify with a female character. So you have been liberated in this way. So the romantic relationship between the two male characters is a lot freer than a male-female relationship. Um, Even if one of the characters is more masculine and one of the characters is more feminine, and that sort of trope, the more masculine and more feminine character developed over time and and became a lot more significant. But at the beginning, yeah, sure, the characters, one was more masculine and one was more feminine, but it wasn't as extreme as it is now. And even that's breaking down again. So as a female reader, you can identify with either of the characters. You can identify with both of the characters at the same time. You can identify as kind of looking on from above this kind of omniscient thing. You can just enjoy looking at pretty boys. You can not be jealous of the female character who gets to be with a, with a pretty boy. It's quite liberating. And in that sense, then BL or Shonen I was created to allow women, girls to circumvent gender and sexual norms. And what's queer if not circumventing gender and sexual norms? So that's why I use queer. And then for all the other reasons that we use queer in queer studies today, So that's queer. Transfigurations. I started using the word transfiguration quite a while ago in my own writing about Japan. And this is because the use of terms like globalization or localization, cultural hybridity, transculturation, these have tended to be assumed to imply unidirectional cultural flows or they have been strongly associated with a post-colonial experience and post-colonial studies. And Japan is, I'm uncomfortable seeing Japan as post-colonial in the way that a lot of post-colonial studies uses the word post-colonial. And so I wanted to get rid of all that baggage. So I use transfiguration to just talk about um, change in transit from one culture to another. It doesn't have the baggage. It doesn't matter which direction the culture is flowing, you know, whether we're talking about imagery, ideas, language, things change, just like the use of the words like shonen I and yaoi and BL have been used differently outside of Japan than inside Japan. So these these words have changed in transit from one culture to another. So that's basically why I've been using the word transfiguration. So you also asked what the main arguments are of the volume. And so first of all, anybody involved in the fandom, a a lot of this stuff, or anybody who um, has really looked at BL will think that this is really obvious, but I think it's really important to map this out. I feel that all of these chapters in various ways show that BL is truly transnational and transcultural. BL is also useful for unsettling gender norms. And I've just talked about that from the very beginning. That's been its intent. And third, BL cannot be separated from LGBTQ issues. This is something that is less obvious in Japan, although it's becoming increasingly obvious. But it's particularly obvious outside of Japan and the ways that I've already talked about and the ways that um, BL has been treated as part of LGBTQ media. And then the final point that I make in the book or in the introduction to the book is that BL is political. And this is obvious in several of the chapters that talk about activism as it relates to BL, like BL fans who become activists in various ways. But it's also true in the fact that BL is trying, in some ways, BL and BL fans are, even if they're not aware of it, they're trying to change society. 
right? They're trying to get around sociocultural norms, which is basically this cis heteronormativity. And that's political. So that's the basic arguments that I make in the introduction. And that I do think that the, the chapters in their own, own various ways pretty much make really clear. Mm-hmm. This is very significant, all these arguments you just made. And then we can start from the beginning about this transnational and transcultural thing. So you actually include all different geographical locales that I mentioned also in the introduction. Why do you choose all these different regions? And what's the significance to choose these different regions? This book focuses on Asia, and it focuses on Asia for a number of reasons. First of all, I'm a Japan scholar. As a Japan scholar, and I've also been active in queer Asia, queer Asian research. And so I consider myself more broadly an Asian studies scholar. And this these particularly East Asia, I'm a lot more familiar with than I am with a lot of other regions. The project itself, as I talked about earlier, was inspired by Thailand's BL boom. This is Asia is on my mind. And Thai BL, BL dramas are globally popular now, but the initial popularity you know, when I was starting this project in 2016, 2017, the initial popularity was primarily in Asia, particularly in Southeast Asia. So I think that that's the basic reasons. But then also, by sticking just to Asia with this particular project, it allows the book to go at a lot more in depth, right? So there are more than half a dozen chapters on Greater China, for example. I've got multiple chapters on Thailand and Korea, which are also major centers of BL. So so that's really important. But I do want to point out, and this is something that I, I put in a coda to the introduction. So I've actually grouped the chapters by region and country. So East Asia, Southeast Asia, South Asia, and then transnational or border crossing, because these are chapters that can't be placed in one region. And I was uncomfortable with this arrangement. Lakshmi Menon, who contributed the chapter on India, she pointed out at the symposium, I think just the two of us were chatting for a minute. So the, at the symposium, I had more thematic groupings of the chapters rather than regions. But she's she was intrigued by my putting BL in particular countries because BL isn't really limited to any particular country. And she was right. I mean, it is problematic to put... So, um, for example, if I'm talking about Danmei, right? Danmei isn't just mainland China, right? Danmei includes Taiwan, it includes Hong Kong, Macau, but also diasporic China, but also it's being translated into other languages. And so Danmei is itself global. You know, and the same thing can be said for Thai dramas or Philippine dramas or Vietnamese dramas or at this point, UK dramas. So so there's that. But also one of the problems that I write about in the coda is that because I divide into regions, gives a false impression that BL is bigger in China than it is in other countries or other regions. And a lot of the reason that I have so many chapters on greater China and fewer chapters in Southeast Asia is a lot more to do with the number of scholars who are working on either Danmei or BL in various regions. BL is huge in Vietnam, but I could not find a scholar who was able to write a chapter in English on BL in Vietnam, for example. So some of this is just who I could find who was able to contribute. And you'll note if you read the biographies of the various contributors, there's an awful lot of early career researchers, including graduate students who were involved in this project. And that's because BL scholarship is something that a lot of young scholars are doing, but not so many established scholars, or the established scholars are just now getting into it. And a lot of the younger scholars, they're coming into BL scholarship, they go into graduate school because they love BL, but they want to understand it from an academic standpoint. And so there's an awful lot of young scholars who basically become academics through their consumption of BL. Yeah, for this last point, I, I really agree. I've met a lot of my friends in the academic circle who do this kind of studies. And it's because, again, we consume the BL uh, media. And then next question, of course, is about 
this kind of interdisciplinary perspective you are engaging with. There are so many different scholars from different fields, and it's so clear when I read each chapter, and they write in very different ways. Some of them focus more on the terms. Other people will do some interviews. It's very different. And how are these interdisciplinary perspective in the, the volume shall I own the BL media? Well, BL started as manga, but at this point, it's a very, very multimedia genre that includes manga, of course, prose fiction, anime, TV dramas, live action films, video games, cosplay or costume play, all sorts of illustrations, and so on. So, and stickers, if you go to an event, you know, so many stickers. And so it's a very multimedia genre. And these media exist for the most part in both commercial and amateur forms. Even anime is created and games and stuff are, are created outside of commercial network or commercial channels. These amateur or non-commercial works are created by the genres. A lot of them are created by the genres, massive global fandom. So this means that we, we need to approach the BL as a phenomenon from perspectives coming from media studies and fan studies. And both of these are interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary fields. So approaching BL really necessitates looking at BL from, of course, these perspectives. Many of the scholars then are involved in interdisciplinary fields, so cultural studies, media studies, and fan studies. But beyond that, um, one of the things that I'm pleased about with this volume is that all of the chapters look at different things. So, um, for example, the development of subgenres or fan conventions, uh, activism, and so on. And they look at them from different perspectives. And whether this is ethnography, like you said before, like through interviews or kind of participant observation, they look at the, the BL through historiography, through texture analysis, even psychoanalysis. And as a result, the book is not just a collection of here's the Korean version of BL. Here's the Malaysian version. Here's the Vietnamese version. Here's the Chinese version, the Thai version. I think that that's really important. And I think that the book is able to make broader contributions beyond BL studies in terms of the way that certain media genres circulate rather than just giving just this version or that version. Beyond that, directly and indirectly reflected in a lot of the chapters is that many, if not most of the contributors are themselves actually fans of BL. And so they have the kind of intimate knowledge of the genre that allows them to offer fairly unique perspectives. Among the authors, there's at least one Dunmay author. There is a BL event organizer. Uh, there, is, there are activists. Well, all of them are, of course, scholars, and several of them have monographs on BL or more broadly, like male-male romance fictions, or they've edited collections. There's at least um, edited or authored collections. So there's at least six or seven of the contributors who actually have books on BL. Yeah, I think this is very important that we see through different media, you have very different angles to analyze the BL uh, media. And if we may go back to this very important question about reception of BL, it's so interesting that I see different scholars uh, talk about the reception of BL also in very different ways. And what I will usually imagine can be the social and political influences of BL. But then there's also the religious part, especially in Southeast Asia, that really kind of strikes me. But of course, I also watch some this kind of LGBTQ films, and I have seen filmmakers like Cai Mingliang touch upon this kind of issue in his film. So I'm wondering, what are these kinds of influences, like social, political, and religious influences of BL in different regions? And how does BL negotiate with the mainstream social, political, and religious values? For the other part of this question is really, we have discussed this already. So BL fans or BL consumers are not just consumers. They're not just fans reading or watching them. They're actually participating in creating more. So to what extent can we say that the audience of BL are actually prosumers? And also the last question of this reception part is about the gender difference. We have touched upon that already. Originally, it's particularly from cisgender, heterosexual female fans. But then we have all kinds of other people who are joining this BL community now. So how do you see this kind of gender difference going on there? In terms of 
social political impact. First of all, in the context of Japan, I would and I have argued that BL has helped liberate women and girls, even though it's a relatively minor genre, it's still, I think, has had a very significant impact. And it's helped to liberate women and girls, sexuality, sexual autonomy, and so forth. Today, it's BL tends to be segmented as a, as a separate genre. But in the, in the 1970s, BL manga was appearing in mainstream shoujo manga magazines, right? And so everybody was reading it or at least skimming it. That's in the case of Japan. I mean, the, the book, there's chapters that talk about, you know, overt political kind of activism. So, for example, Peiti Wang's chapter, she talks and Peiti talks about BL fans in Taiwan who become active in the movement for same, allowing same-sex marriage. I don't know to what extent you could say that they had a huge impact, um, but they had a visible presence at major events. So there were major like marches and gatherings, and they had a visible presence. And then um, there's another chapter that talks about Hong Kong. In the, the Hong Kong chapter, the authors talk about BL imagery is used or was being used in the movement. So the BL fans were using Facebook and other websites to make kind of BL parodies or to couple, to ship. So in BL fandom in English, we use the word ship, short for relationship. That's when in Japanese, we use the word coupling, like where you take two probably heterosexual men and you put them in a romantic relationship and then you have fun exploring their dynamics. The Hong Kong chapter is talking about the just kind of the, the playfulness. So the kind of this lighthearted approach to a very serious political issue. Um, there's a chapter um, on uh, youth culture in China. This is by Weiwei. Weiwei talks about how BL imagery has permeated Chinese culture in general. And so that even heterosexual men who do not consume BL are aware of its existence and they can use BL to kind of make fun of each other. They can kind of ship their friends and, you know, kind of see the two of, you know, a couple of people, to get, a couple of guys together and they can ship them in a, in a way. This actually has allowed, Way argues, for a return to more intimate male friendships, heterosexual, non-sexual or non-sexual male friendships, some of which had become a little bit difficult because of an increasing awareness of LGBTQ issues. And so like two men in China, at least in urban China, are not two young men are not able to be as close to each other. They're not able to be as intimate with each other because there's a fear that they might be seen as gay. But then through this sort of BL imagery, they can just turn that into a joke and be, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can just use local discourse inflected by BL and just say, oh, that's just us, you know, kind of. And so this has actually helped uh, these young men. Um, in terms of religion, as I said earlier, BL um, in Japan was developed as a response to patriarchy. And then in religiously conservative countries such as Indonesia, so there's a couple of chapters that talk about Indonesia, but also places like India, homosexuality is strongly proscribed, but also the romance norms are heavily restricted. And BL has been a way for young women, especially to, again, enjoy looking at pretty guys and explore romance. But what's one of the interesting things about BL in places like India and Indonesia and the chapters on these countries discuss this is that for some of these fans, this is the first time they really thought about homosexuality or at least male-male sexuality outside of whatever religious teachings that they might have received. And so for some of these fans, they have started to take a more open view of homosexuality. They've started... For some of them, they're kind of compartmentalizing their fandom and religious teaching and, and teaching them as quite separate. So in reality, homosexuality is bad, but in, I'm just enjoying this little romance. This is just my own, whatever, it's, it's separate. But some of the fans have started to rethink the teachings of their religion. 
And one of the interesting things that Lakshmi Menon in her chapter on India points out is that some fans in India are concerned that BL might actually be exploiting gay men. So we're using the image of gay men for female, for, for women, heteros ostensibly heterosexual women's pleasure. And so maybe that's actually exploiting gay men. And maybe that's not a good thing. And this is something that Ishida Hitoshi, uh, a Japanese uh, BL scholar, pointed out in a really influential article in 2007, where he talks about this appropriation of representations of gay men. Actually, thinking about Japan, so for example, so Fushimi Noriaki, who is a critic and activist, a gay critic and activist in Japan, Fushimi, when he reviewed the Japanese version of this book, he actually wrote in the review that he felt, as somebody who'd been active in the then called lesbian and gay activism from the early 90s, he felt that BL had actually made that activism easier. BL had actually contributed to openness towards LGBT issues. And if you look in the 1990s in Japan, so for example, film festivals, we started to have lesbian and gay film festivals in the early 90s. I think 1992 was the first one. And the early audiences were predominantly cisgender heterosexual women because they'd become interested in male-male romance through BL. And then they go to these films. And most of the films at the film festivals, these are more activist or films. And so then they become at least aware of, if not interested in LGBT or at the time, lesbian and gay activism. So I think that we're finding BL has had... In influence like this in Japan and a lot of other uh, other places. So you also ask about to the extent to which um, audiences of BL are prosumers. Um, my sense is that the majority of fans are largely just consuming, right? That I don't know, I don't think there have been any sort of statistical studies, anything reliable to figure out how many BL fans are actually writing their own fanfic. And I think if you're involved in, so for example, um, AO3, which is a major global fanfic website, or um, um, the, the name is escaping me, but other kinds of websites where we have fanfic. I think if you're in those circles, you will maybe think that the majority of fans are in some way engaging in the creation of fanfic. But I, I, my sense is, and this is coming from going to a lot of events in Japan, as well as events in at least a dozen other countries, my sense is that the majority are largely just consuming, right? They're largely just consuming these narratives. Um, they might enjoy people who are engaging in cosplay or costume play. They buy uh, fanzines or doujinshi. They read online fiction. They buy sticker, depending on the country, they buy stickers, sometimes called prints, like illustrations, printed illustrations, often postcard size or larger. They buy BL-related goods, but they're not actually creating them. As far as gender difference, so again, BL, even outside of Japan, I think BL is predominantly consumed by cisgender heterosexual women. I don't know how you would describe a gender difference. So my hunch is, and this is based a little bit on research by people like Kazumi Nagaike, as well as a, a kind of a fan scholar or fan researcher, uh, Yoshimoto Taimatsu, who's created some doujinshi on male fans of BL in Japan, my sense is the majority, but not everyone of men who consume BL are either gay or bisexual. But there are straight men who consume BL. And in some ways, the straight men who are consuming BL, based on this, this research that I just mentioned, the straight men are consuming it in, for some of the same reasons that it worked in the first place for, for uh, women and girls. This is romance that is sort when you have two men together, you don't have to worry about gender roles and you can identify with either of the characters. So if you are a heterosexual man reading, you can kind of ignore the gender of the characters and just enjoy it as the term you used earlier, pure romance. You don't have to worry about which character you are identifying with and you don't feel pressure of masculinity because men in a, obviously heterosexual men in a romantic relationship are expected to behave in certain ways. And those relationships are kind of changed in the BL narrative. And so this does provide a certain amount of freedom. So Kazumi Nagaike has interviewed a number of, of heterosexual male fans of BL, and which, who again, I do think are very much the minority of male fans, but 
they some of them just completely ignore or they mentally change the gender of one of the characters but this allows them the freedom to explore romance in a way that's not available in media that's for men yeah i think what you just said actually opened up a lot of specific questions that we can continue one thing that i'm thinking a lot is that as a female fan i usually think in a way that these are two men as what you just discussed. So I don't need to worry about my own gender issues. I can just enjoy this kind of romance without dwelling in the kind of what's going on in the reality and all those patriarchal things. But at the same time, I do notice sometimes when this is also what is discussed in some of the articles that when we talk about in BL genre, there's this kind of distinction between the top and the bottom. And then usually the top is a strong man and the, the bottom is kind of the weak man. And somehow this kind of bottom male is repeating what's going on in the reality of what women are suffering. And then sometimes, even if you have this kind of hu gong wen, so strong top and strong bottom, you feel that what they are saying, what they are performing somehow repeat the whole misogynist kind of take of men in the real society. So those are some of the concerns that I have. But at the same time, for this is purely my own kind of imagination or my own observation, but for the male fans of BL genre, I somehow feel, of course, I noticed some of the articles are discussing this idea of fudanshi, just just... The, the rotten men, the, the men who are consuming this kind of BL media, I'm, I'm just guessing if they are the so-called, quote-unquote, this derogatory term, CC men, because they cannot reconcile with what's going on in the real society, they are asked to perform this kind of macho type of masculinity, they can find something different in the BL media. That's why they are consuming it. And also it goes into this question about the tension and the dynamic among BL and feminism and also queer movements. You just mentioned at the beginning this major argument of BL cannot be separated from LGBTQ issues. And I definitely agree. But then you also use the word blurring between BL and LGBTQ. And to what extent they are, they are not so blurred. And then they actually, they are different. For me, my own standard of differentiating them, even though I, I really see all kinds of blurring going on between the two, is that whether they are serious enough about things, whether it's really about, you know, just two beautiful men having sex with each other or falling in love with each other, or it touches upon some kind of, again, real issues like what's going on in the reality and then whether they tackle them. But this is only my own kind of take on it. And I'm wondering, how do you think about this particular question? Yeah, again, a big list of questions or sub-questions. I actually want to go back first and talk about the top-bottom relationship for a minute. And then I will come back to the blurring between BL and LGBTQ media and culture. So we use the words top and bottom and within the fandom. In Japanese, we use the word seme. Seme is attacker and uke. Uke means receiver. So the, the seme-uke relationship has traditionally been a definitely more masculine seme and a definitely more feminine, more passive uke. As scholars like Fujimoto Yukari and Nakakubo Yoko have pointed out, um, that a lot of the more masculine or more feminine, this is relative. So you can, if you couple, especially if you're doing amateur works where you're shipping, you know, like if you're taking members of a boy band or something, if you're shipping or coupling two characters, they seem more masculine or less masculine depending on who you ship them with. And so what they're doing is that they're pointing out, first of all, they're allowing for a lot of play with gender they're allowing for and they're, they're showing fluidity of gender in ways that i think are really important both for cisgender people but also for people who are transgender and one of the things that and maybe we'll talk about this more towards the end but i've been engaged in a 
a multi-year research project on BL and Yuri. Yuri is the female-female romance fandom and media around the world. One of the things that becomes immediately apparent is when you start going to these events is the number of non-binary and trans fans there are. And I think when you take away the binary relationship, the male-female relationship, you expose gender as a lot more mutable. And the consumption of BL has been a way that some people have come to a realization that they are non-binary or that they're trans or people who are already well aware that they're non-binary or trans find BL especially a lot more relatable because the dynamic between the semi and the uke, the top and the bottom, is fluid in a way and it exposes gender as fluid. So that's a that's a really important point that I, I don't want to skip over. As far as the blurring between BL and LGBTQ media, that's a really tricky question. So if we look at inside Japan, originally we've got BL and then we've got gay comics, gekomi, right? We've got these two separate things that are largely separate. But if you talk to young men, especially, some young men read both. Some young gay men or bisexual men read both. They consider themselves fans of BL. And some of them are consuming BL because they like the way that ostensibly heterosexual women are depicting romance. Some of them make a distinction between this kind of fantasy romance in BL and porn in gay comics. But again, if you look at gay comics, if you go to these events and you look at all the fan works, not just the commercial works, you're going to see a lot of very romantic stories that have no sex in them whatsoever. There's that. But then there's also, there are works like by people like Yoshinaga Fumi, like What Did You Eat Yesterday? Kino Nani Tabeta, or, or things like that, which are actually about real gay men. And then if they're about real gay men and they're portraying them realistically, is that BL? Like, a while ago, I would have said, no, it's not really BL. There was, um, there was a really popular anime a couple years ago called Yuri on Ice, which is about figure skaters from Japan and Russia and elsewhere. And there were debates about whether in this is in English speaking fandom and probably other fandoms about whether this is really BL, right? Because I mean, they don't really say the characters are gay, but they're obviously only attracted to other men. Are they just portraying like gay life? Is that LGBT media then? Or is this just gay? Is this just a gay story? I think it's, it's not clear. And if the creator says this is BL, at this point, I would just say, yeah, that's BL. I guess there's been a little bit of debate over like, for example, the UK series Heartstoppers, which I haven't actually watched, but which has been described by some fans as British BL. And my understanding is that the creator actually criticized BL as unrealistic, Japanese BL as unrealistic. And so this is her, um, I think her um, version of this kind of romance, but it's separate because BL has been criticized, again, for this really strong power dynamic between the Semi and the Uke. Things have changed a lot in Japanese BL, um, but in the past, and I think this is true in Danmei as well, in the past, there was a lot more a lot stronger power dynamics and a lot of the BL narratives involved sexual assault, rape, um, these sorts of things that led to romance. Let, that's, those sorts of narratives have become less and less popular. Um, but also, like, for example, Tom Bodnet has done separate research on Philippine fans. This is not in this, this particular book, but he's, he's looked at Philippine gay men who consume Thai BL, and they see Thai BL dramas which were originally inspired by Japanese BL. They see Thai BL dramas as this realistic depictions of actual gay life. Japanese BL as totally unrealistic and this, 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 it's not real, it's not good, it's exploiting gay, gay men. And when Tom was doing this original research, Thai BL, I mean, they aren't using gay identity, they aren't using gay rights, they aren't dealing with gay issues at all. And it really was originally fantasies for, for women. So women can look at beautiful guys and enjoy romance. More recently, though, and Tom and other people have been uh, talking about this, the Thai BL actors and, you know, there are actual gay men who are involved in Thai BL now. And even if the actors themselves aren't gay, some of them have been out very vocal on Twitter and other social media about LGBT rights. So 
even if BL is not always realistic, and even if it's not really, it's not based on reality, the reality of being an actual gay man in, or a bisexual man in Thailand or in Vietnam or in the Philippines or in Japan, even if it's not coming back to what I've talked about before, it's creating among fans and creators, artists, performers, an awareness of LGBT issues, right? So people and people are able to take this romance that's very pretty. And even if it's unrealistic, they're able to enjoy this romance and think, well, what's wrong with this kind of romance? Well, you know, what's wrong with two men falling in love with each other or two women falling in, in love with each other, two non-binary people or trans people falling in love with each other. And so even if they themselves don't then go on and engage in any sort of activism, they might at least passively support it, which I think is really important. I really appreciate all this. It makes me rethink a lot of things that I've been very used to, but then what you are edited in this particular volume and what we just talked about really makes me think more. And now let's come to this, another very regular question that I always asks every interviewee, that is, what is your next book project? You mentioned a little bit, but you can kind of express more right now. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure whether this is actually going to turn into a monograph or if it's going to turn into another edited collection, but I'm working with uh, Fujimoto Yukari, uh, Kazumi Nagaike, and Ishida Hitoshi on a, a Japan Society for the Promotion of Science-funded project. This is a multi-year project. Uh, technically, we should be in the final year, but because of the pandemic, they've sort of allowed us to extend things a little bit. And we've been looking at the intersection between BL and then Yuri, again, female-female romance, as well as trans representation in manga, anime, and so forth. We've been looking at the intersections between that and LGBTQ cultures, communities around the world. And it was partly inspired by the project that became this book. Um, but we're just looking on a more global scale. To what extent are BL and Yuri and so forth, are they playing a role in local LGBTQ culture? And so we, sh we were supposed to hold a symposium this year, but that's probably going to be pushed back. Well, definitely going to be pushed back at least to next year. So that's sort of like the main thing that I'm working on at the moment. And we'll see. We might actually apply for another grant. You should probably cut this part, but we might actually apply for another grant and just add another three or four more years. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this project because we've been talking about BL for the whole interview, but we shouldn't forget the GL, the, the Yuli, because mm -hmm. it's another very important genre. And somehow when we are consuming it, we always kind of BL is much more popular than GL for a lot of reasons. And there can be another whole interview to talk about it. So it's so great that you mentioned at, a, at the very end of this interview that, yes, GL or Yuli is another thing that we should discuss, and it's very worth discussing. And also, the transgender perspective is something that I think in queer studies is still emerging. It's not so obvious as gay and lesbian studies, but it's so important. And that's also what I've been doing in my own teaching, that I really want to always give more transgender exposure to, to students so that know it's not just about gay or lesbian people, but also about other kinds of different gender, a very mobile gender gen or genders. So thank you so much for this interview. And I really enjoy it. I've become so excited about everything you are researching into and you're talking about. And I'm so looking forward to a new project. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.